Hey everybody, I've got a few things to talk about before we get started today. Uh, first of which is something I forgot to talk about last time. We've got a brand new logo. Uh, thanks to my good friend Billy, you can follow him at that generic soda on Twitter. It is, it's pretty amazing. And as we've got a new logo, we've also got new merch. If you head on over to macashton.com slash cryptidsdecrypted, uh, you can take a look at some of the designs we have. I've got it on a beautiful orange t-shirt. I wear it all the time because, you know, life is self-promotion, man. You gotta, you gotta wear your own merch sometimes. Second, if you're into cryptozoology and you listen to this podcast, you probably know that I write a series about a drunken monster hunter named Nick Ventner. Well, the sequel to the first book in that series is coming out very soon. We don't have an official date because COVID production delays are, uh, well, they're something. And it's really hard to pin down a specific date, but I can tell you it's it's probably coming within the next month. Uh, and to get ready for that, I've launched macashton.com shop. That's going to let you buy signed copies directly from me. Uh, unfortunately, I can only ship them in the U.S. right now. If you're international and you really want one, uh, go ahead and reach out to me and we'll figure something out. I've also got ebooks, if that's more your thing. And, you know, guess what? You don't have to get Amazon involved. These are locally sourced organic ebooks just from me. Uh, the profits get split directly between me and the publisher. So we actually end up making a lot more money that way. It's great. Last thing I'm going to plug before we get into the Amityville horror is I was recently a guest on Esoterica Cinema, a podcast by a good friend of mine, Jason Peters. They break down bizarre films, and it's, it's a great time. We talked about... Uh, Guns Akimbo, which was a release that flew under the radar last year and has Daniel Radcliffe. You know, if you want to see Harry Potter get some guns literally bolted to his hands, it's definitely the film for you. And the episode I did, I had a lot of fun. I've listened to every episode they've put out. It's great. So go ahead and check out Esoterica Cinema. It's a fantastic podcast. All right. Enjoy Amityville Horror. Sorry I had to talk so much, but we've got a lot, you know, and uh, talk to you at the end. See ya. Uh, hello and welcome. This is our third, or gosh, second episode of our third season of Cryptids Decrypted. And we're following on with the interview I did last week with Donna from Philly Ghost Hunt. And uh, we're talking about ghosts. We're not talking about Philadelphia ghosts, though. We're talking about the Amityville horror, yeah, which New- has been on our wish list for a while. Yeah, New York ghosts. Yeah. And that, that, that sweet, uh, sultry voice you hear is, of course, the, the original co-host, uh, Tyler, mm-hmm. who's back for our first episode together since we did Roswell. Uh, oh, gosh. It was probably, the raid was probably a year ago. So it was about a year ago. Oh, God. I forgot about the, the Area 51 <laughs> raid. Yeah. And then I interviewed that nut job who uh, is going to jail. Yeah. For, <laughs> for solicitation of a minor. Yeah. I was say unmentionable activities, but you mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's. <laughs> I think I've said it before, but fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. So, before we get into it, I wanted to, you know, like, why are we talking about ghosts? This is a podcast about cryptids. It it was actually, like, I think it might have been after the Roswell episode, we were talking about, like, what do we want to cover? And I was like, okay, well, when we get really weird with it, we'll go go do ghosts. Because it's like... I they're on ghosts. the fringe of reality. It's it's close. Yeah. Cryptozoologists would disagree, but we're not cryptozoologists. We're just a couple of dudes with a podcast. We're trying to entertain people. And what's more entertaining than ghosts? They're damn right. Like there's there's so much mythos around ghosts. Ghosts could keep this show alive for, for years. We can really milk we can really milk ghosts. And so let's we might as well start with like the most famous one. 
<laughs> the ghost that's been milked to death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into Amityville, uh, go check out the interview I did last week with Donna from Philly's Ghost Hunt. If you want to learn more about, like, what ghost hunting is about and what kind of techniques people use and what, you know, they consider to be the best evidence that ghosts are out there. We talked a lot about that. We talked about some famous Philadelphia haunts. Uh, you know, there's a creepy story about some mannequins moving on their own. So it was, it was, it was a good time. It was a really fun interview. Nice. But now that that's out of the way, Tyler, you're doing the history of this yeah. mystery. So sure. take us through what happened at Amityville. Yeah. Oh, we're jumping right into it. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think the best place to start with, with Amityville is not so much the ghost story, but actually kind of what led into it. So, um, this house uh, is where the DeFeo family lived, uh, which consisted of the parents. Uh, I don't have their ages. I believe they're in their 40s. Um, their oldest son, who was like 20 or 21. Um, and then they had uh, four uh, four kids, four, other, four younger kids than um, the oldest. So the oldest one is named Ronald DeFeo Jr. Uh, presumably is the father is Ronald DeFeo Sr., um, but anyway, so the story goes that Ronald DeFeo Jr., he shows up at this local bar um, claiming his parents had been murdered. Um, so I kind of envision it sort of like an old timey, like Western, you know, like where like some girls got like her dress torn up and she's kind of bloody and muddy and stuff. And she's like, there's outlaws. Um, <laughs> so like he runs into the bar and he's like, hey, like um, my parents have been murdered. Um, so this group of guys from the bar, I don't know, they get their pitchforks or whatever, and they march on over to <laughs> the DeFeo's De house and sure shit find uh, Ronald's parents murdered. But they also find uh, his four younger siblings aged nine uh, and to 18. I can't remember the exact numbers in between, but um, all murdered, uh, dead. So what's interesting about this is that all six of the um, victims are lying face down in bed uh, with bullet holes in the back of their heads, and there is no sign of struggle. So certainly like a creepy way to start out, I think, the Amityville Horror uh, story. Now, so Ronald DeFeo Jr. claimed um, that when the police showed up, said, I think this was a mob hit. Um, I don't know where he got that from, <laughs> but he's... It's in, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's New York <laughs> and it's the 70s. So he claims it's a mob hit, goes into police custody, kind of for his protection, kind of, you know, for questioning. So the police are interviewing DeFeo and they start noticing a bunch of inconsistencies kind of popping up in his story. Um, so eventually, and I guess you could have probably assumed this... Um, he admits that he drugged his family and then murdered them while they were sleeping. So the house obviously goes up for sale eventually. Um, nobody wants to buy the murder house. So um, they reduce the price down to $80,000, which the house is like one of the most famous houses, I think, in terms of just like appearance in the United States. And that getting that house for eighty grand seems like a real steal. Um, especially in 2020. But um, <laughs> so they bring it down to 80 grand. This family buys it uh, with weirdly enough, all of the DeFeo family's furniture still in the house. 
Um, so this family is the Lutz family, and this is the this is the famous Amityville Horror family. So this consists of the uh, of George, um, who is the stepfather, his wife Kathy, and Kathy's children from a previous marriage: Daniel, Christopher, and Melissa. Melissa also um, is known as Missy. Um, so you'll see Missy a lot um, when you kind of if you do research on this or read the book. Um, and then they would only live in that home for 28 days uh, before leaving due to paranormal claims of paranormal activity. So I got kind of a list of some of the paranormal activity if you want me to run through that, because I think that's where things get pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I think that is interesting. What, one thing I'm curious about uh, that, that you mentioned, too, was you talked about they moved in with all the original furniture. <laughs> yeah. Like, what kind of... They paid $400 kind of psychopath- for Oh my god. I would assume not the beds and mattresses where people were literally shot, but I think like, you know. I mean, you would hope you would hope, but I mean, with the way this story goes, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, are you trying to be haunted? <laughs> yeah, I know, and they they knew full well, right, that this was like there was gruesome murders there when they bought the house. Yeah, that's the thing that they so um George and Kathy obviously were told, "Hey, there was like pretty gruesome murder here a couple years like a year and a, like not even two years ago um barely a year ago um you know and so that's why the price is so cheap and obviously it's a beautiful house has you know great property whatever and so they they talked about it and decided that wasn't going to deter them and i kind of like put myself in that position like would i turn down a beautiful home for a way low price just because people were murdered there and i don't know that i wouldn't you know, yeah. Especially if I'm trying to raise a family of what five, you know. know. Yeah, and I think that it's it's tough. You know, like you really just have to have the question. And well, we'll get to this later. But like, do you believe in ghosts? Because because if not, right. then like, fuck it. That's that's a hell of a deal right there. Yeah, and but, but also you're kind of tempting fate at that point. At that point, you yeah. Know? So yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's yeah. Just I mean, what do you do? That the lot can't sit vacant forever, but. I don't know. Let's go through what happened to these people yeah. uh, who who did tempt fate. <laughs> okay, let's start. So I don't know if I don't think this is in any any sort of real order. I tried to kind of thematically tie them together. But um, so upon moving in, they had a family dog. The family dog was tied up in the backyard, um, and George, the you know the stepfather, goes out back and finds that the dog had tried to jump the fence and was hanging over the fence, kind of like killing him, almost like he was trying to hang himself um, to death. Uh, uh, luckily, uh, George uh, saved the dog before he uh, could have committed suicide um, over that fence. So that's pretty, that was the first thing, which um, in and of itself, not that, it definitely a, a, an upsetting experience, I'm sure. Um, but then beyond that, um, not all that scary. So the other thing, the next thing that I have on here is... Um, George reportedly awoke at the same time every night at 3.15 a.m. Um, this also happens to be the same approximate time that the the DeFeo family was um, murdered. So, you know, that sounds like something out of a horror movie for sure. Um, yeah. So um, during several of George's 3.15 wake-up calls, <laughs> uh, he'd hear the sound of um, sounds of a marching band tuning their instruments coming from downstairs, which I think is super creepy. Um, I read the book a long time ago, like in high school, and that was always the thing that stuck out to me is like just like such a bizarre and creepy experience. Yeah, and not really related either. Um, yeah, I think that may be what it is. It just seems so random and like 
if you're a ghost like or a demon or whatever like why is this the place you go <laughs> um <laughs> and so what was interesting about this one and i and i've i don't remember this from the book so i might you know be finding false information online but in, in my research um, I found that one guest kind of corroborated this experience and claimed that his family, who was apparently staying in the home, I, again, I don't remember this happening in the book, so take this with a grain of salt. He heard um, similar sounds all night long. So, you know, take that. Yeah, that was actually the one piece of, like, corroborated evidence I consistently found was the, the marching band, which is, mm-hmm. it's so strange. It's so creepy. Well, and it's not even a marching band, like, playing marching ba- band, like, yeah. songs. It's, like... <laughs> That'd be so weird. Almost I mean, like them, that might be weirder. Almost just, like, them just, like, tuning up their instruments. Like, the sounds of them, like, preparing to play a song. <laughs> yeah, well, the song is murder, you know? <laughs> the song is murder. <laughs> so, another night that he woke up, he woke awoke to find Kathy levitating off the bed in her sleep. So, you know, there's that. So, moving on from him waking up in the middle of the night all the time. So, moods kind of changed in the house, apparently. George uh, rarely bathed. He didn't eat a ton. He was ill for most of the time that he was in the house. Um, he lost a bunch of weight, apparently. I mean, they were, keep in mind, they were there four weeks. So, to lose, you know, a noticeable amount of weight in four weeks is not without trying to diet or anything like that. That's kind of a... A large amount of weight, you know, or a large, or a quick, am- quick amount of time to lose weight. The same thing. Uh, Kathy had consistent nightmares, um, and the kids were all like constantly fought. So just again, kind of that general mood change um, as soon as they moved into the house. Um, the another thing is, so they started kind of they're kind of creeped out by some things in the house. So they requested a priest come and bless the house. Um, he agreed. And then upon doing so, um, when he was in the house, he heard a loud scream that said, get out. Um, I I wrote in my note, he did. (laughs) Uh, let's see here. Black slime would leak from keyholes, a green gelatinous substance kind of leaked from the walls and then toilet water would turn black, which gross. Um, (laughs) Kathy would feel a um, a presence approach her from behind in the kitchen Um, and then Kathy was attacked by an invisible force in bed um, going so far as to like leave red welts all over her body Um, Hmm. some of the less well one of the less interesting things for sure is they would uh, hear footsteps in the house can you imagine like one of the less interesting things about your haunting was hearing footsteps yeah, that's always been like when people tell ghost stories, I feel like that's one of the creepiest things is like hearing footsteps in a room you know no one's in. Like that's the least, that's like the most comforting aspect of this whole haunting story. Which is fucking wild. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. So they would, they also would find tons of flies in one room. I don't know. I was a little unclear uh, in my research if this happened multiple times or one time, but they just found a shit ton of flies in, um, I think it's their sewing room. Um which I think the the priest also mentioned was like sort of the 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 center of all the evil in the home. Apparently, I don't know what the the exact terminology is, but that's what they hmm. um, found. Uh, also, uh, windows would open on their own. Um, the family awoke one night um, in the middle of the night to the uh, to the door front door slamming. Apparently, it had a very distinct sound, so they would hear it slam. George would go down, you know, being the being the dad that he was and not find, you know, found no intruders or anything like that. No signs of intrusion. Just heard the sound. This is where things get kind of creepy. They found what they called the red room. Um, so there was a closet sized room where the walls were painted red and had a, um, a blood smell kind of permeating the area. 
Um, the thing that's interesting about that is they found it. They kind of like discovered it behind um, some shelves, and it was below in their at- in their sorry in their attic in their basement uh, below the stairs. Um, and the dog that they had that tried to hang itself was afraid of this room, like terrified of this room. Um, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit more later in the podcast, but definitely interesting. Um, then my personal favorite is the pig the demonic pig-like creature um so uh this is kind of multifaceted here a little bit so uh george and danny um danny being i think the oldest son um claimed to have seen a uh pig-like creature with glowing red eyes um, peering down at them from a window when they were outside um later i think it was kathy but i'm not 100 sure anymore uh later the family would see like some same eyes peering in at them from outside um, George would run outside to only find hoof prints, hoof prints in the snow. How friggin' scary is that? <laughs> hoof prints. Yeah, no, that, that that's one of the weirder aspects of this oh too. God, so it's like, oh, pig demons, mm-hmm. right? There's something just so creepy about pigs. I can't put my finger on why they're creepy. Maybe it's that they like eat people. That they are famous for being used to eat people. <laughs> yeah. Like that is like never trust a man with a pig farm. That's like. Le- I mean, there's legit sayings about that because of that. Really? I've never heard that before. I mean, I oh, think they're, seen... they're really efficient at eating people, apparently. It's in the movie Snatch. Is it in Snatch? Okay, I saw it in... Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of it? I think it's called The Cowboy Way. No. I think it's Woody Harrelson's in it. I can't remember who the other actor... It's like a buddy crime kind of movie. Anyway. Hmm. Not bad movie. Yeah. Not a bad movie. Uh, it's been many years since it. Anyway, um, another time... Kathy, they saw the eyes, and Kathy threw a chair. I'm, I'm, I'm unclear if she threw it through the glass and broke the window, or if she like it was open and she threw a chair at it. But she threw a chair at the window, um, and when it hit whatever it hit, um, they heard a pig squealing. Okay, super yeah, creepy. That's weird. So um, the other kind of related part to this is that Melissa or Missy, the youngest daughter, um, she kind of made this imaginary friend named Jody in the house. Um, and Jody would tell uh, Missy that the Lutz family would, quote, live there forever or live here forever, I guess. Um, and I can't remember exactly because I remember reading the book and, I'm, and this part I pulled from my, from my memory. So I may be a little off base here, but I believe it was suggested that Jody is actually the demonic pig creature thing. So that's kind of a generalized list of the things that happened in the house um, while they were living there that kind of caused them to want to leave um so the family left 28 days in like i said um and why they the night that they left is largely a mystery which i find super fascinating um george who george and kathy like kind of did the media circuit for this thing and obviously there's a lot of controversy around that and we'll talk about that i'm sure but um george like refused to talk about that night um which I think is really interesting because he spent a lot of time really breaking down everything else that happened, you know, in 28 days, something so, you know, so scary, apparently so terrifying. Like he wouldn't even, he refused to even talk about it, um, happened. Um, but we, what we do know is that they all left in haste. Um, they left nearly everything behind and they packed only like three changes of clothes each. So they just clearly just grabbed shit and ran, um, that night kind of reminds me of the end of like poltergeist which yeah. i'm sure was influenced by this uh, to some degree um oh, almost oh, certainly yeah there's a lot of similarities right yeah well i think like 
this kind of came at a time when um, people were really interested in the occult and paranormal stuff. And I think that has, it's kind of continued to this day, I think, but I think it was really popular for a little while. And this was like the big story. But anyway, what I thought was another thing that was kind of interesting was that um, investor investigators, I, I believe I'm assuming the police uh, came back to the house, found the house in disarray. Um, clothes were like found everywhere. Kind of like thrown, almost like they were thrown around food was found everywhere. Like it was thrown around. Um, the plants had all died in the house, which is interesting. I don't know how long there was between them leaving and the police showing up, but Clearly, they, they weren't taking care of their plants, or the plants mysteriously all died really quickly. Um, and then the last little bit of history I have on this is that in 1976, um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are very famous paranormal investigators, or I guess they call themselves demonologists. They're also, you, you might recognize them as um, the central characters in the Conjuring series of movies, uh, played by, yeah. gosh, who is it? Uh, you know, I'm not even going to try to guess their names. Um, but anyway, they performed um, an investigation in the house. You know, so this was about, a, I think, a year or so after they left. Um, and one of the most compelling pieces of, of evidence is a photograph um, that appears to show a ghost um, boy, I guess. And they're, you know, supposedly that might be Jody, the, you know, the imaginary friend. So that's what I have for the history. Um, yeah, it's definitely creepy history. It's super creepy. It's definitely one of the creepier, like, ghost stories, I think, um, that I've heard. Um, I mean, you could go into the history, I think, about, there was a lot of, like, there was obviously a ton of, like, media attention around this. I don't want to say obviously, because I think haunted houses happen, supposedly happen all the time, and there's not this level of media attention. This was, like, a big media, um story for a while um where they'd have them on you know talk shows and stuff like that um which part of it was to promote some of the the books and the movies that we'll talk about um but um yeah super just kind of an interesting story that took kind of took america by storm i think it really is like i mean it's kind of like the roswell incident right where we have this really like interesting story that happens there wasn't i mean obviously ghost stories existed but did America really have like a big famous ghost story before this? And I don't think that, that we really did. At least nothing that was like, you know, 100% unique. And like, I mean, th- this one, mm-hmm. it really just captured the national attention for, I mean, I, most people, you know, if you say the word Amityville, mm-hmm. like they'll, they'll know what you're talking about. I think if people have any passing interest in like horror movies or, um, you know, the paranormal or anything like that, I think that they'll. They should. I mean, this is to me. This is up there as like one of the great American stories, along with you know, Bigfoot or um, the Jersey Devil or you know that sort of stuff. Um, oh man, so. the Jersey Devil! <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> but I think it is one of those things that kind of is permeated through time, and people keep coming back to it as something that's interesting. And we'll talk again about you know, there's a lot of books and movies and stuff about this entire yeah case. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get into a, a little a little bit of that here. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, unfortunately, it's 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 my well, not unfortunately, it's my pleasure to to go through <laughs> and, and poke the holes in this uh, spooky balloon. Uh, <laughs> so I, I tried to organize my my notes here initially into I was like I was gonna do you know points toward the Lutzes and then points <laughs> toward it being a hoax. Right. But then I really quickly ran out of points uh for the Lutzes. Yeah. So it's it's mostly gonna be points for the hoax. But 
<laughs> so the 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 best piece of evidence, uh, in my opinion, that I found that the the Lutzes did experience what they experienced is that they took lie detector tests, mm-hmm. uh, attesting to the veracity of the haunting events, and passed. Yeah. And, you know, my my counterpoint to that is, you know, coming from a psych background, uh, lie detector tests are bullshit, and there's a reason they're not admissible in court. Yeah. And they can be pretty... They can be easy to pass if you have the right training, right? So sure. it's... Is there... It's I don't, like kind of half and half. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, half and half, I think, is a fair way to look at it, because who, who's to say that these people are or are not trained to <laughs> to yeah. uh, pass a lie detector test, even when they're lying? Well, and I think a lot of this hinges on the idea of the Lutzes being cons, uh, or, you know, you know, like, trying to, to capitalize Make on a, a moment. Yeah. And, you know, as I kind of break down these things, you think about it like, nobody's buying this house. Suddenly the Lutzes come in, they recognize a deal, they don't stay there very long, and they leave, and then they make a shit ton of money. Uh, but, you know, I think that the the other interesting thing, so you talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes. And so they're these famous demonologists, right? Mm-hmm. And they come in and they corroborate the creeped out feeling of the family, they find that, or they take that photo, and then they say that there's like you know, presences and this is, this is their whole shtick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, which is to be fair, I think pretty much all paranormal investigators. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, yeah, a, there's always, of course, of course, uh, not, not Donna from last week. She's pretty great. Uh, no, I, I mean, like I'm fascinated by paranormal investigation. Like, yeah, I think there's people who genuinely true. want to do it. And then people who want to make money off it. Sure. Like, and like, it, it's pretty easy to sniff them out. It's kind of like honestly, it it reminds me a lot of like uh like those mega churches that are there yeah, for money. That's a totally good point. Yeah, it kind of and and so Ed and Ed and Lorraine Warren really feel like one of those mega churches for for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, so the first thing that's important to note is Ed and Lorraine Warren they they never took money for their services, right? Like they would come in and they would do this self uh, do this a free charge because they're pious individuals, right? They're these this Christian couple. That just wants to get the demons out. And, you know, I respect that. But through that process, they <laughs> they, they wrote over nine books yeah. that sold incredibly well. And sure. so even though they're not charging for their services, they're very well off. Yeah. But the kind of crazy thing about this couple, and this is why I relate them to churches, mm-hmm. uh, is they, uh, they, they've both been accused of committing crimes as well as sexual assault. Oh, really? So... Yeah, so have, oh, this wow. is recent as of uh, 2017, and I wasn't able to find the conclusion to this case, which makes me think that like a lot of sexual assault cases that got buried. And they're they're both they are both dead. It is worth noting that. Oh, they, when did they die? Um, well, he died a while ago. I can't. Let me look up. I'll actually look up when she died. Yeah, because this was getting so this was getting litigated in 2017, um, and it was because of the popularity of the Conjuring films that it came out. Oh, really? Okay, so Lorraine Warren died in... Oh, 2006, which is... Okay, so this was after they had died, they were litigating this then. That can't be right. Interesting. And I'll tell you why I don't think that... Yeah, this says 90... What the hell? Oh, sorry. Ed died in 2006. She died in... It looks like 2019. Okay, so two years after this came out... 
And so this was basically saying that they had a young woman that was living with them uh, that was underage and they were just, yeah, doing gross things and being pedophiles. And it was, it was so bad that the, the relationship, because it was so odd, got reported to the police and the, the police, I think they, I forget who they, they arrested somebody for that. And then it just came out again as the conjuring came up because the conjuring kind of portrays them as this pious couple. Right. And, you know, doesn't really get into that. And it kind of gets into like, why, why are you profiting off of this? But basically what I'm saying is, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, maybe, maybe not the best source. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause clearly they are good liars and they were, you know, I, I, I tend to never trust people who are making a lot of money off of something. Uh, and they, they had a lot to gain off of making this into something bigger. For sure. Yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily rule it out as BS just because of the money. Although I do find their, um, <laughs> you know, I actually was just reading the, about the case with that woman who was in a underage relationship with with ed but um yeah you know if her account of things is is accurate at all it's pretty upsetting situation yeah and it's so it's you know they 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 were clearly hiding some shit but even so moving past that because i mean i'm sure we we could talk about ed and lorraine warren for a while because again nine books but (laughs) the, the next thing that I look at is out of all the families that have lived in the Amityville house since the Lutzes, none have reported a single haunting. Yes. Which is interesting to me because it's like, why the Lutzes? Yeah. And it's not like they moved there shortly after, um, like not immediately after. So like, why not the next family? Right. And so here's where it comes down to for me. So there's this guy named Weber. He was the attorney for DeFeo, mm-hmm. uh, the person who originally committed the murder. Yep. And he ended up meeting with the Lutzes because they were discussing book deals. Mm-hmm. And so they were, what's the guy's name who wrote the the J- famous book? Jay Anson. Jay Anson, right? So this is before they had met with Anson, I believe. Okay. And so they said that, so Weber recalls meeting with the Lutzes and says that they started out in a reserve tone with... No ranting or raving going on, mm-hmm. but then the three went on to consume at least four bottles of wine, and the evening yeah. turned into a creative writing session about what kind <laughs> of thing could go into a horror book. There was a give and take, and toward the end, we were all creating ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so one such idea, according to Weber, was giving the uh, the gelatin drops that the Lutzes found on the carpet a sinister explanation. And the exact quote is, if you were talking about the green slime, why couldn't it have been a demonic source? Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, they weren't really quite sure about it, but then he, he kind of kicked it around with them until it was something scarier than it was, maybe. Yeah. And then Weber went on to say that he never believed the Lutz's story. The Lutz's ended up not going with Weber uh, for producing the retelling of the story because he actually wanted to share the profits with DeFeo. Oh, interesting. So, which, uh, you know, if you've been haunted by the murdered relatives, then maybe you don't want to share the profits with the murderer. Yeah. Wait, the, he wanted to give the money to the man that's sitting in prison? For yeah. Murder? <laughs> he, he wanted to give... Well, and I mean, he was his attorney, remember? And... Jesus. Okay. So, part part of this... I'll, I'll get into... There's, there's a lot of threads here that are kind of weird. But Weber continues to pursue the book project with uh, another man who I forgot his name, but... Okay. They hire a medium to come in and check the house, and this is the medium that comes in and says that there was a Native American chief on the warpath. I believe his name was... 
rolling thunder, according to them, because the house was built on an ancient Native American burial ground, which of course. Is, sound familiar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about poltergeist. Um, and then later, uh, they go in and they interview local Native American tribes. And of course, uh, no, no such Native American <laughs> burial ground there. Uh, and my favorite quote. So this is from the uh, tribe's chief, Straight Arrow Cooper. He said, even if there were, that doesn't mean we will go into someone's body and capture their soul and control it in a negative way. That's right. just not us. Right. It's kind of this racist, um, anti-native sentiment, I think, that has just sort of managed to live through um, through time. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, experts told me that the tribe was, me- uh, was mentioned was not from Amityville at all, actually. And they inherited the, or they inhabited the eastern tip of Long Island, which was about 70 miles away. And then he said that Anson's tactic was clear when strapped for good materials for a book. He padded it with quasi-factoids. And I think, and I may be mistaken, but I think the Lutzes actually even pointed out a couple of times where he was, where he, as you said, padded it out. But I may be, I may be wrong there, but. I mean, he was writing a fiction book in the end, right? Like, it's it's half and half, right? Yeah, I think some some of the facts I bl- and I again I I don't remember where I read this, so I may be completely off base here, but I believe that George and Kathy even were like, yeah, there's a couple of details in there that aren't that are maybe a little bit fictionalized to make them a little bit more interesting or entertaining. And that's where we get like the based on a true story, you know? Right. Uh, like this is this is I think a great example of where that first kind of started to come about. Yeah. But and was problematic. Yeah, really. <laughs> But back to the Native American chief for a second. So the reason that Weber is pushing for this story, right, and and trying to get that version written stems from this idea that he wanted to get DeFeo an insanity plea. Uh. Uh, and DeFeo was saying that he was possessed by the spirit of something in the house, and that caused him to commit the act out of character. Interesting. Now, of course, the insanity plea was denied, and he was given six lifetime sentences. <laughs> Uh, but so that kind of gives you the motivation. He's still alive too. Wow. Un- unreal. Are any of the Lutzes still alive? Oh yeah. 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 Um, George and I Kathy, the kids I would don't be. believe yeah. are, but yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about Daniel or Daniel. Ooh. I've only got a few more points against, and then we can go back to the speculation. But the, one of the most <laughs> famous stories with multiple corroborations is that of the cloven footprint left in the snow. And so Rick Moran, uh, not related to Rick Moranis, I was very disappointed. That's uh, not Rick usually Mor- how Ricks work. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're that close, man can dream, okay? All right. He, Rick Moranis was on my mind because of the damn Ryan Reynolds commercial. Uh, but so Rick Moran is, he's, he's kind of like a debunker. And he went through the town records for the time that they said they found a cloven hoof print in the snow and found that there was no snow like anywhere near that time there was also i don't know if i don't think i mentioned this but the night that they fled the house they also claimed that there was a storm and yeah there if you look back at the records there was no storm so unless there was some sort of spooky stuff happening that made a storm only happen at their house just like in poltergeist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> god i love poltergeist what a good movie yeah yeah what do you seriously what a good movie it's a shame the remake wasn't very good yeah uh, I, I thought it was okay I don't, yeah. you know, we'll talk about another remake shortly that was far from okay. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so lastly, the book and stories tell of damage done to the windows, locks, and all that kind of stuff. But when p- when police went in to investigate, they found that there was no damage and that all of the original bolts and everything were still in place. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I read that too. And the family afterwards, I think their name's the Cromartys or gosh, the people Crom- that- Crom- Cromarty? I think, yeah, C-R-O-M-A-R-T-Y, I believe is their name. The Cromarty family, I think they- Basically, we're like, yeah, there's no ghosts here, and all the old stuff is still, like, in place and intact. <laughs> yep. So, I do have one theory about mm. where this myth comes from, and mm. it's actually... So, it's it's based on... I, I found this in some reading, but it also kind of tracks with what we've found with a few other myths. So, kind of going back to our Chupacabra episode and talking with Benjamin Radford, who's the man who was credited with kind of exposing the Chupacabra myth for mm-hmm. being just a myth... Right. Uh, that stemmed from the movie Species, and the basically the Chupacabra was never sighted before the movie Species. Uh, the same thing is true of like the Loveland Frog. That was immediately after Creature from the Black Lagoon, and this story happens in 1975, which is two years after uh, the book The Exorcist was released. Maybe even a little less than two years, because depending on when The Exorcist was released in 1973. But I mean. And it was a you think very about these people cooking book. up a story over bottles of wine yeah. and like moving into a murder house. You you have to think that something that is that big in the culture at the time yeah. is definitely going to be a factor. Right. And this was so I'm, what year did that movie come out? 74? Uh, I don't know when the movie came out. This is the book. Right. The book came out in 1973. Right. The book is was super popular. I know that much. And I know obviously the movie was was that the was that uh was that eighties or seventies for the exercise? It was the seventies. I think it was around the time this happened. Now I doubt. I don't. Nineteen seventy three. Yeah. Oh man! Further fuel to the fire. Right. So, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is the seventies and eighties. There was a lot of I think they call it the satanic panic, which is interesting to me because I kind of grew up. Um, obviously, I'm too young to have grown up during that time, but my family, my grandma specifically was very, um, <laughs> very influenced by the satanic panic. Um, like the, if, I don't know if you've ever heard, but like people have said that like dungeons and dragons is like, Oh yeah. The devil. Right. Or, um, uh, what I call Ouija boards were supposedly like, you know, part like that was all kind of caught up in this sort of like, again, that satanic panic. So I think the, the exorcist certainly played into that. And I think this certainly plays into that as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that that's that's my main pet theory behind it, and mm-hmm. like it just it just kind of tracks as far as the timing goes. Sure. And then and then one last thing I forgot to mention, so that the person that Weber did eventually hire to write his version of the book, uh, they went on writing three books related to the story: the Murder in Amityville, the Amityville Curse, and the Secret of Amityville. Yeah. Uh, and they're all written by a guy named Gosh Hans oh, Holzer. Yeah, yeah, I'd read yeah. about him too. And he was like a paranormal writer from Austria. Uh, hmm. He was famous for psychic archaeology, which uses like dowsing rods and channeling to find, uh, you know, artifacts and things like that. It's, sure. it's a pseudoscience. But yeah. So, I mean, that's that's all my evidence for it being a hoax. Yeah, I think I think the other big thing, the other big thing is the the, the money, the 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 uh, financial incentive to make up this whole story is is pr- can't be ignored (laughs) yeah no it's it's huge there's a there's a big drive right and especially when you consider what kind of came of this like so i can jump into my sort of next section here which is all about sort of the the media all around it so um 1977's 
the the book by Jay Anson, which is obviously like what popularized this whole thing. I think I don't actually, you know, that's a good question. Like a question for myself here. And I never really thought about it. I wonder if the story was big and then they wrote the book. Yeah. I wonder if it was big locally, right? Well, yeah, like, exactly. I mean, I would assume so. Yeah. Um, I would assume it didn't attract national attention though, until there was a book. It's a good point though. I didn't, I should have done better research on that. But anyway, so Jay Anson, A-N-S-O-N wrote the 1977 book. Um, he worked closely with the Lutz family to, with, you know, to author this supposedly true account of what happened. Um, like I said earlier, there was a lot of controversy around many of the details. Um, for example, um, one of the one of the priests claimed that the book was ina- inaccurate to re- what really happened. Um, in the book, they mentioned that he had visited the home. Again, this is not. There's two priests involved in this story. I can't. Re- I, I remember one of their names. I have one of their names as uh, was it Father um, Man- Mancuso. Um, this other priest, though, I think they only contacted by phone. Um, but anyway, in the book, he, he does actually come to the house. Um, so there's like little details that are, like I said, clearly um, fictionalized for um, to be more entertaining for sure. So that, that book was um, apparently very popular. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I read it um, back in like high school. So we're talking almost f- probably 15 ish years ago. Um, and I got to say, like reading that book when you're 15 years old, super scary. Like it's a really creepy um pretty well told haunted house story so um i uh, if you're interested in like ghosts and you're interested in the story i 100 percent would recommend reading that book like it's yeah, just you know, it's, it's funny really i never so I, i've never read that and i've actually never seen the amityville movies mm-hmm. uh but i have read the exorcist oh have you i've seen i've never read the Exorcist. i think i own it actually but maybe i need to read that. that's what i was reading in high school as uh, I, I was going to a catholic school and i was like you know what'll really fuck with the nuns? Yeah, is if they see me reading The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the book is super scary, and I, I, I stand by that being like a book worth reading. Um, so then the other, the, the other thing that I didn't actually know about until doing research on this is there was a follow up to that book, um, in 1982 by uh, an author named John G. Jones, and I think again this kind of had the Lutzes working with them. Um, that. <laughs> I think hilariously, like simultaneously agreed, or sorry, claimed to be uh, fictional and also based on a true story. So I think on the front it says, you know, based on a true story, and then on the back or something it says not actually a true story or something to that effect. <laughs> Classic. Um, but the the idea there is that it follows the Lutz family after they fled um, their home. So obviously the movie was a big deal. In 1979, a movie of the same name comes out, The Amityville Horror um margot kidder as kathy and oh god i'm forgetting the actor's name but anyway the uh there's an actor (laughs) a famous actor edit (laughs) this part out there's a 1979 movie called amityville horror and it uh definitely take out took a lot of creative liberties and so this is one of like the first experiences in my life where i like i read the book then i watched the movie um and was sorely disappointed by what i found in the movie um, so there's like minor changes. So for example, Melissa or Missy is actually called Amy in the movie. Um, Father Mancuso, who I mentioned earlier is called Father Delaney, but then there's a couple other things. So in the movie, um, Amy's babysitter is, gets locked in a closet. Um, she like pounds on the door. Her hands get all bloody, um, from pounding so hard and finally gets out and discovers there's not even a lock on the door. So it was almost like somebody was holding it shut, which is definitely creepy. Um, but this was entirely made up for the movie. It's nowhere to be found in the book. 
Uh, hmm. At one point, Father Delaney goes blind. Again, this is entirely fictional. Um, it, it's, it's, it deviates from the book. Maybe f- calling them both fictional is probably more accurate. Um, the red eyes peering in through the window happens on the second story in the movie and through the daughter's room. Um, that means there aren't footprints in the snow. Uh, so that happened, you know, downstairs in the, in the book. Um, the green ooze on the walls is actually blood in the movie. Um, the red room that I mentioned earlier, which in, in, in real life, and this room does exist. It is worth mentioning like the, the family that lives there now or, or afterwards did say it was there. Um, they also mentioned that it would be really hard to miss that room. So it's interesting that they quote unquote discovered it. Uh, but anyway, the red room is in the movie is significantly larger um, than in real life. Um, in real life, like I said, they discovered behind themselves in the movie. Uh, they knock down a wall to do some like renovations and discover it. So like, it, you know, it's four walls without a door. Um, which I think, huh. which I get it. That's creepy. That's really creepy. It's creepy. That is way creepier. <laughs> so that was the first movie. Obviously, that was a, that was a success. That was very popular. Um, I, I should th- say too that uh the the main actor in that is James Brolin. James Brolin, yes. That is, I get him and Bronson mixed up. Uh, who did the the, uh, the fighter? No, uh, Charles Bronson was an actor in around the same time. Um, he did I think the Death Wish movies. But I get those two. I get those two mixed up. They're kind of I don't know. When I was a kid, I got Patrick Swayze mixed up with uh, with uh, Kurt Russell for some reason. Don't know why. Hmm. Just similar looking ish actors around the same time doing completely different movies in that case, though. Anyway, so there were sequels to the movie that came out got from like eighty two all the way to like ninety six. The only one really worth mentioning is the second movie, Amityville two, called The Possession. Um. Because it's kind of interesting, it does it provides a fictionalized re- retelling of the DeFeo murders. Um, George Lutz, this is kind of interesting. George Lutz actually wanted the second movie to follow the second book that I mentioned earlier. You know, that kind of followed the Lutz family after they fled their home. Um, but obviously, that didn't happen. So he actually tried to sue the producers of the film, and he lost. Um, but ultimately, there is actually a disclaimer. There was a disclaimer on the posters claiming that the Lutz family was not involved in the production of the film. So, huh. yeah, really interesting. Uh, so then in 2005, so you can kind of see him, especially him. I think he was the most guilty of it. Like, clearly he had like an agenda that he was trying to push with these. He was he was trying to capitalize. If this is a true story, he was really trying to capitalize on the the terror that his family supposedly went through. Yeah, and keeping it true to the original the original horror story. Right. I actually would love to see that movie too. A movie that was just, you know, kind of bare bones and stuck to the t- stuck to the story of the book. Like it would be really creepy, I think. But anyway, going going back to the uh in two thousand five there was a remake of the nineteen seventy seventy nine film, um, which, you know, it starred Ryan Reynolds as George. Um and I don't, I don't know who else was in that movie. Nobody, I, I believe, of note. Um, I think the mom might have been marginally uh, successful at the time. Um, but it was uh, worth noting. I believe this is a Michael Bay production or part of his. Um, you, you might remember in that time period, he remade some several horror movies. Um, I think he did the uh, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I'm not saying he was directly involved, but his production company, I think they're called Platinum Dunes, was involved in several remakes of classic horror movies. So this is one of those. Uh, Much more 
very much like an early 2000s kind of horror movie. So you see the ghosts constantly and they're like not at all subtle. Lots of jump scares. Um, George actually literally goes insane. Um, and it does kind of feel like a little bit like a ripoff of The Shining. You know, it's like the crazy dad trying to at, at the end kind of tries to kill his kids. Spoilers. Sorry. Tries to kill the family. <laughs> Um, he does actually kind of, it's a little bit like, you know, again, just like the shining, he becomes sort of abusive and then he actually murders the dog, um, in the middle of the night, the kids kind of find the dog. I don't remember this movie super, super well, but, um, the kids kind of like, Oh God, the dog. And he says, Oh no, this is terrible. Um, which I think Ryan Reynolds now is such an interesting pick for that movie. You know, he wasn't the yeah, established. Yeah, to see him in that kind of role. He wasn't the established superstar he is today. Like he kind of, he definitely like toyed with being a serious actor or being not the funny man that he is now. So it's very yeah. Before they found out he could just play himself, yeah, and make like a billion dollars. He like the most likable dude. Yeah. Yep. Um. So the house in the movie apparently has ties to a cult. Um, that committed violence towards Native Americans. So here they are bringing in the Native American stuff. Uh. Which, of course, is the source of the hauntings in the movie, right? Um, so George becomes possessed by this cult's leader, <laughs> which has the most horror movie name I've ever heard, Jeremiah Ketchum. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, like, even sees him, and then, like, he has, like, these weird flashbacks, if I remember correctly. It's, it's a terrible movie. Um, and then Jody, again, who is the youngest daughter's, you know, imaginary friend slash the spooky pig is no longer a spooky pig in this movie and is in fact just a young girl who with a bullet hole through her head suggesting that you know she is ronald defeo's sibling of some sort of little sister or something so since that movie came out in 2005 uh, actually well since 2017 let's really say that there's been three amityville horror movies that i had no idea existed (laughs) yeah me neither like I, i hadn't even heard of any of these coming out i had i think i heard of one maybe a couple years ago and like kind of forgot about it. Cause just it, they had limited releases for two of them. And then the third one was directed direct to video, which may be due to COVID cause it came out this year or is coming out this year. Or so um, I have, yeah, it's hard to tell. I have not seen those. The only movies I have seen are the first, the original and then the remake. Um, and the original is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly if you're a fan of the book, kind of a, Kind of a letdown because it does kind of, you know, fictionalize some things. The other movie that I did want to point out here also in 2012, a um, documentary came out called My, Am- My Amityville Horror. Um, and it was released and it focused on um, a grown up Daniel or I think he goes by Danny. Um, and it really kind of it's kind of sad. It's really about how the whole experience of the haunting supposedly just kind of like ruined a lot of his life. Like he's just like a, you know, I think he's like a roofer or something in New York. So nothing, he doesn't have some flashy, fancy job. It's not like he's living the high life. Um, But he's clearly got, you know, and, you know, maybe he is a great actor. I don't know. (laughs) But he he very clearly has like some mental health, um, mental health issues. Um, he claims to this very day that the events that were in the book really did happen. And yeah, he's just had a lot of anguish over the years because of, because of that. Now I do kind of wonder, like, I think there might be truth to his, you know, mental health issues, but I kind of wonder, was he sort of gaslit to believe this stuff actually happened by George and Kathy and his, and has had these, you know, mental and emotional 
scars, I guess, over the year, but um, over the years. But it is a it is a, a, an interesting movie. He actually um, goes and visits. Um, this is why I was confused by thinking she died in two thousand eight. He goes and visits Lorraine Warren, uh, and she again she seems just like the sweetest old lady. So it's disappointing to find out that she is probably been, a creep, right? <laughs> may have been a, a sexual predator. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it is actually a really interesting documentary that I that um i would recommend so yeah my recommendations after doing my research and having read read and watched these movies i would say watch the watch the original movie read the book they're both really interesting and at least at the very least they're very entertaining um and then i would also recommend the documentary from 2012 so i think that's a good it's, it's a good circle around point for what do you so so what's your opinion uh, on the myth that is the Amityville horror, is it is it bullshit? Do you believe hmm. part of it? Do you believe all of it? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's kind of a tough one for me. I think there's like certainly a lot of evidence that it's that it's BS. Um, I personally, I do kind of have like I, I think it's worth noting this was this episode was something that I really wanted to do because like I love this story and I am like fascinated by ghosts and stuff and this is like my favorite ghost story. Um, so that might kind of play into my bias, but I kind of think something happened. Um, I think certain things were definitely um, blown out of proportion, perhaps in the book. Um, and I think that we can't let the uh, clearly George was a greedy person. <laughs> clearly he saw dollar signs um, because yeah. he very much rode that wave. Um, but I think the things that are worth um, pointing out is both him and his wife stuck to their story until the day they died. Um, Danny, like I said, he still, you know, at least in 2012 stuck to that story. Um, I just think there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens here. And I know that I want it to be true because <laughs> it was, it's just such a good story. Um, so I believe I would give it like a, I don't know, 70, 30 split, 30% of it being, 30, 30% like I believe it and the other 70% being like not really <laughs> um, yeah and again I don't know if that's just my like literally like for 15 or 20 years of my life I've been f- like completely fascinated by the story so I don't know if that plays a role but yeah I don't 100% buy into it being real or fake yeah it's it's really interesting so I, I've also been I've been fascinated by the paranormal for a long time and it, you know, my only real memory of the Amityville Horror was actually the, the trailer for that fucking Ryan Reynolds movie. Mm-hmm. As a kid, it played in front of a, a comedy I went to see, and it, ga- <laughs> and it gave me it gave me nightmares forever because I was just such a fearful kid. Yeah. Um. So that was like my only real memory yeah. of this myth. But going through it, it is like a very interesting story. And I think that, like, looking at the the evidence, like, you know, I, I'm obviously, I'm more of a skeptic. Like, I, I would say like maybe nine 95.5 for me. But, uh, you know, and, and I think that you're onto something when you talked about maybe the, the parents gaslighting Danny, because as a kid, you're so impressionable and it's so easy to form false memories. And when you have parents that are trying to make a buck and if they really, if they really were scammers, right, it's not, it's not above them to manipulate their children, but it's, it's hard to say like it's, uh, 
that's my inclination is to say it's fake, but it's it's certainly a very interesting story, and you know, like it's it's well well told, yeah, because it's still it's still creepy even just talking about it between us, like yeah. it's oh, it's totally. it's, a, it's a scary story, yeah, it's like a, it's, I think um one of the things like when when you know I say we started this podcast, but I think really you started the podcast. One of the things I really was interested in doing was kind of like exploring like the idea that these stories are important to like American culture. Yeah. Um, especially like Bigfoot was, was an obvious and easy one or the Roswell incident. Um, and I think that the Amityville horror for me, at least it's kind of like right up there. Right. And these, these stories that like I heard about Amityville from my mom who knew that I was interested in ghost stories and stuff like that. So my mom told me about, this movie that existed and then i found out there was a book and when i you know could take myself to the bookstore i went and i bought the book and so i think like there's an an interesting um path to go down when you consider that this story was yeah a huge part of like the 19 late 70s right like there was this big um media storm around it and then that story has been passed on from my mom who was you know what 11 years old when that book came out to me when I was about 11 years old, you know what I mean? So there's just something that's really interesting about that aspect of it too, to me that like this story is, is, is really good. You can tell the story is really good because it's been passed down generation to generation. Same thing with Bigfoot, same thing with Roswell. And I'm sure that, you know, I will tell my children one day about <laughs> the Amityville horror. I'll tell them about Bigfoot and Roswell, you know what I mean? And hopefully they'll keep that story alive. Yeah. There's something very important to the American identity about these myths mm-hmm. and, like it, it is, it's a lot of, and, and when I say the American identity, I, I mean like the, the, God, it's so hard to say that now and, and right. take it seriously, but like the, there, well, I think that we, we don't have hundreds of years of history, like, and I, I mean, I get that we do with, when you get to native American stuff, but like, as far as this Europeanized, uh, you know, colonialized America, you don't we don't really, we only have a couple hundred years. And so that's why I think like stories like this, like Bigfoot, even if you look at like stuff that we know to be fiction, like Superman, you know, these superheroes also, they play an important role in sort of like the American identity, you know, all the way to 2020. So I think it is interesting to like keep these stories alive and important to keep these stories alive to some extent. I, I think this does wade into some dangerous territory when you get into like stuff about the native Americans and yeah. Or like even Roswell too is, is dangerous territory in its own right. Cause it starts fomenting conspiracy theories. Right. Yep. Like it's all, it's all right on the edge, but it's, it's very interesting to, to talk about and to, to just look at. Right. Right. And I think uh, that's kind of the beginning of the distrust too, of, uh, of, of the government and you know, for a lot of people, I mean, you know, it kind of, it seems a little lighthearted and fun to kind of be like, Oh, the government's hiding, hiding aliens but then you kind of like it kind of sends you down that path of what else are they hiding and that's such yeah a, that's like distrust of government is a huge part of american culture you know yeah like when i was talking to that that fucking guy uh listening to him like at the time and i mean it's even a bigger contrast now knowing that he's he's a criminal right. and in jail right. but like he was just this very personable amiable guy and like as he was talking i was like you know, like, he's saying a lot of things yeah. that could make sense. And then, like, afterwards, I listen back to him. I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. Like, the, yeah. it's 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 crazy how that happens. But, well, yeah. I think, like, the the idea of, like, conspiracies, too. Like, and not to go off too far from 
talking about ghost <laughs> stories, but the idea of conspiracy is like, I think it's just like, like a political identity too. Like, especially in like a 2020, man, 2016 to 2020 with, you know, Donald Trump and stuff. Like that's such like a huge part of, you know, QAnon and all that shit. Like that's such a huge part of like his success as a politician has been wading into that territory. But even like before that, like it wasn't always it's like, let's, let's be real. Like it wasn't like a conservative yeah. monopoly kind of thing. Anyway, I'm sorry. This is getting way out of, way on it. I mean, but here. it's way, it's way off, but we're, we're in the end now. Yeah, you know, like the, the, the people who are still listening are the, they, 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 they're here for the ride. <laughs> but I do think that that's, so that, that kind of brings up the, the last thing I wanted to talk about is like, what are some things we want to cover? And, you know, I, so one of the myths that John and I talked about uh, in our last episode about American folklore was Tessie. And I want to talk about it. It's, it's, it's the Loch Ness monster, but in Lake Tahoe, but it's so interesting because it's tied into the fact that Tahoe is a mob burial ground. Uh, right. And, and like just all sorts of really interesting conspiracies and shit about that. So that's, that's definitely one I want to jump back into, but I'm curious what else you have. Cause this was a really good one. Like, I'm glad you suggested Amityville. Yeah. Um, God, I, I think, I think like the, the, um, have you heard of the battle for, I think it's the battle of Los Angeles or like, there's a movie. I understand there's a movie called battle for Los Angeles, it's completely unrelated, but. There was, I believe, like a bunch of lights that appeared over Los Angeles. A bunch of people saw them, like aliens, basically, and uh, supposedly saw bullets and shit flying up at them from the ground. Huh. I don't know. No, I've never heard of that, but that sounds awesome. I think it's called the Battle of Los Angeles or something like that. So it'd be really cool to look into that, I think, somewhere. Well, awesome. Uh, I mean... Dude, thanks for coming back to the episode. This has been one of my favorites to talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. If anybody else has any suggestions of myths or like i'll say conspiracies but like if you send me q on bullshit we're not doing an episode on it it's not mm-hmm. happening yeah like, maybe it's not the podcast for you get away right maybe <laughs> we can do like a an older conspiracy that's like, like a kennedy or something you know something that's a little <laughs> less uh yeah, there's definitely not anybody who are still hopped up about the well, kennedy assassination it's, it's, being false there's i think there's a little bit of uh <laughs> I think that's like Mystic 12, right? Mystic 12 is something that we could dive into that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Or what's the... It's like uh, on the call it Black Ops is doing their game on it, uh, on Mystic 12. So that would be that would be relevant. Yeah, for sure. Or yeah. the... Uh, what was the... Um, the um, CIA mind control M... Oh, MK Ultra. MK Ultra would be cool to talk about. Yeah, man. We're off the rails this season. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Didn't we get, uh, a, didn't we get a review saying that we went off the rails <laughs> Yeah, that, that's and, and now we're doing it, but I think it's going to be great. Yeah, uh, if you listen to this, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We always, uh, even if it's negative, we do love to see those. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like I stand by the fact that I will get merch made for that one review that says I rather eat poop. Uh, wow. It, it was one one star, I rather eat poop, show went downhill. God damn. Yeah, speaking the truth. Thanks for listening to the the second episode of this season. I had a ton of fun recording this, and honestly, the Amityville horror myth, legend, whatever you want to call it, is a lot wackier than I expected it to be. Uh, All the stuff with his lawyers and the insanity plea, just pure gold. And I would love to see somebody make a film that's about them coming up with the story for the Amityville horror uh, to try and get this guy off on an insanity plea. Absolutely wild. Our next episode is going to be about Mongolian deathworms. Uh, we're planning on recording it about a week after this launches, so give me another week or two for editing, and then it will be out. Uh, it might come out a little bit later because there was an election in the U.S., and uh, frankly, that's it's been messing with my psyche. So depending on how that election goes, it might be a little bit because I, I might just need a break. 
Uh, if you have any suggestions for what cryptids we should do next or anything else you'd like to see on the show, please let us know. Please leave us reviews anywhere. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. You know, because honestly, if you're still here, like I've been rambling for three minutes at the end of an hour long podcast. We really do appreciate you all. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.